You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I am interviewing Adam DeVico. Adam is an accomplished teacher, principal, author, speaker, and professor. He began his career in North Carolina as an elementary school teacher, then worked as a teacher and the school implementation specialist for the renowned Ron Clark Academy, where he traveled across the country conducting professional development and on-site trainings to school. Adam returned to his alma mater, Wake Forest University, to train the next generations of teachers as a clinical professor. Most recently, he served as the principal at Moore Magnet Elementary. Adam is married to his wife, Jacqueline, and they have two wonderful sons, Ryder and Maddox. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am super excited about today's guest, Adam DeVico. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. So, hey, brother, just like every other episode, we always start off with connections before content. We do that on here with the flip five method. So I'm going to ask you five GTKY questions, and then you're going to flip five back at me. So question number one, really simple. Are you left-handed or right-handed? I am left-handed. So let me ask you a question, just kind of an extension of that. What's the hardest thing you think of being being left-handed? What's one of the most challenging things about being left-handed? So this is an easy one. So when you're using a pencil, or even a pen for that matter, writing left-handed, you are guaranteed by the end of the day to have whatever you use that day smeared across the the outside of your pinky and down your palm and and if you are a lefty you understand what this means because it is a there is no cure to it you just get used to it and accept it as a as a reality of being in the minority of handedness. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm right-handed. So is there anything like, so for example, I shoot a bow or a gun left-handed because of the fact Mm -hmm. I'm left eye dominant, but I don't do anything else left-handed. Do you happen to do anything right-handed? It, well, actually, it's funny. Yes, I do. I actually play sports righty. So I, I consider myself a little bit confused in life. In fact, <laughs> when I was younger and started to play baseball, you know, the natural inclining was to bat lefty because I wrote lefty, but only to realize that that just was not natural. And so I had to go to the right. And I'm basically a very confused guy. <laughs> in my, <laughs> there's no order in my life. I love it, man. Okay. Well, you know, and I, and I will tell you, I have, I'm not left-handed, but I feel for left-handed. My sister was left-handed, but okay. I've always said, I know they're out there and I've kind of Googled it, but I'm like, I want to create a store that just carries all the left-handed products. And I want to call it left out. That's what I want to call I, it. Left. Well, are you, I don't know. If, are you a Simpsons fan? Cause that, they, they did this on the Simpsons. No, I, I'm not. I've, I've only seen a handful of it. So, so not like a true follower, but did they do something like that? This is probably like 20 years ago. Ned Flanders made the leftorium. And so anyone listening to right to this right now who is a Simpsons fan, you might remember the episode dedicated to left-handed people. <laughs> it was a classic <laughs> in Simpsons history. That is awesome. Okay. All right. I think I've, I've gotten at least two questions in or probably a four, but let me go to officially number three then. Right. If I go, if I 
get into your house and I'm going to take what is on top of your refrigerator. What's something I'm going to take if I get to your refrigerator? What's something I can take off the top? So, so not inside, but atop? Yeah, on top. What is sitting on top that if I break into your house, I'm like, man, I'm stealing Adam's what off the top of his refrigerator? Ooh, well, the, unfortunately, the fridge is kind of inside of something. So we oh, okay. Covered- you got a cupboard above it. So usually there's going to be extra Dr. Pepper up there. Dr. Yeah. Pepper is, is my, I, I call it a food group. And so whether you agree or not, it's it's going to be plentiful at my house. So usually I keep excess and extra Dr. Pepper available at all times. You never know when you might need one. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'm totally on that. And I will tell you, if I am going to drink sodas, that's going to be Dr. Pepper's number one and Big Red is number two. So nice. I'm, yeah, yeah, so I am definitely... A Dr. Pepper fiend also. It just, it likes to stick around with me a little bit longer as I get older. You know, they used yeah. to just run right through me and now they like to stay and hang on to me. So um, I try to avoid them as much as possible, but man, they are super good and super addicting. All right, number four, a uh, simple thing like this is when you think about this, when you wake up in the morning, are you a snoozer or do you like get up as soon as your alarm clock goes off? As soon as it goes off. That, that thing goes off 6.20 in the morning and actually I, I'm a runner in the mornings. And so uh, 6.20 goes off and usually by about 6.30, uh, I do two miles every morning. And it's, uh, it's my kind of my way to start the morning. So now I don't do snooze. You don't do snooze. Gotcha. Okay. I like that one. Last simple question is just, how do you like your eggs? Scrambled. I've been introduced to many different types of eggs over the years. And for whatever reason, I just go, I keep going back to scrambled. So it's, I don't know why. An egg is an egg, I guess, in some ways, but it's not in others. And so I just, I just go, go scrambled. There yeah. you go. I am an over easy kind of guy. Okay. Uh, definitely, you know, I need something to mix with my toast or hash browns or something in there, a little bit of the juice or something. But yeah, it just really depends. But if I'm going to get them the way I want, over easy is for me. All right, brother, uh, that was five questions. Flip five back at me. Go ahead. All right, here we go. So favorite sport. What sport am I going to see you watching? Football. College uh, or professional? Professional. I don't watch very much college. Favorite team? What do you got? <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to say it. Dallas Cowboys. Ooh. Well, I know. Uh, no, it's just. Don't it, feel bad. No, no, no. And I try to, and I don't, listen, I am not one of those crazy fans that mm-hmm. one thinks we're going to the Super Bowl every year or two that I paint my face with a star. And it, no, I grew up a Tom Landry, Roger, Roger Staubach, Danny mm-hmm. White, Drew Pearson, you know, and I tell people, I'm not a Jerry Jones fan, but I'm a Dallas fan. And it's hard to separate the two um, because he's such an impact on the team. But it's like, oh, my gosh. But I'm a realist. Like, when we suck, I'm like, we suck. And and I don't don't put a brown – yeah, like this year. But I don't put a brown bag. I don't get disappointed. I I just – you know, I just look at sometimes and I was like, that's us. That's just who we are right now. And I'll be – but I will be a fan until, until the end. Well, you and I are going to have a battle then this year for the bottom of the NFC East because my, my team, are the I grew up in New Jersey, so I'm a Giants fan. So this year we're going to be battling to see who can, oh, who can it's, finish off last in the NFC East. Oh, I know. I think when we played each other this last time, it was just like, no, you win. No, you win. Yeah. No, we're, you win. We're, we're, it's always fun to watch who's going to try to lose the best. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, I don't know if that was one question or two, but we can go to the next one there. Okay. Uh, TV show. So favorite TV show in I guess now or former, it can be either. Let's see. I mean, there's so many. Gosh, now, now there's so many options. Right I know, there? there's so many. Oh, no, 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 no. But I'm, but I will tell you, I've watched so many, but there was one and I, and, and I have so many different streaming formats. So it's crazy. I can't remember, but there was a show called Uploaded or Upload. I don't um, know. Yeah. So it's really, what it's interesting is 
it's it's kind of silly, but it literally is a show about you being uploaded instead of passing on to a, and what they say is they don't know if there's a true heaven. So what they do Mm -hmm. is they upload your mind without your body. And then you get to choose which world you want to upload into, but it's, it's way beyond that. It's not like a sci-fi. There's a love story in it. There's a lot of uh, sentiments in there, a lot of crazy things, but for whatever reason, I really got into that show, binged it all. And I just can't wait for season two. What streaming service is it? I think it's Netflix. I'm almost positive. Yeah. But it's either upload or uploaded, but yeah, man, it's just crazy. And and the storyline in the way that it's just done, at first you would think it'd be a little quirky and like, eh, for me, I really got into the characters. There's actually, so when you get uploaded, you have like an agent that you can talk to and the agent and this person start to become in love. They actually have a relationship. And so it's just crazy, but he's still married to a woman who's back on earth and they can still talk to each other after life. And yeah, they can put on like crazy suits and have sex from like mm-hmm. AV sex and all that or whatever. It, you know, <laughs> just, VR, VR, VR. No, I know it just goes crazy, but it's just, but seriously, the storyline drew me in and it's just like, wow, yeah. kind of crazy. Sorry, off on a tangent there. All right, good transition though. So next one then, staying techie here, Apple or Windows? Oh, I'm an Apple. I was never an Apple until I got into this field when I started using Keynote over PowerPoint. Yeah. And then it was like, once I went Mac, I never went back. It just felt natural. And I, I was already an Apple phone person. Right. So I just totally, I'm two feet in an Apple. I wouldn't even, I, I would tell you out of my, at one time I had to let somebody's like, oh yeah, can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, I looked at an HP and I was just like, I don't even know what to do anymore on those PCs. So Man, I, don't even, I don't even I, know where to start. I haven't bitten yet. So I, I do have an iPhone. So I think I've got like that toe in the water, but I, I just oh. haven't. I haven't taken the dive yet. I, I will, one day. I, I'm sure I will. The only reason I also say is, is the minimize, you don't worry about the viruses and all that other stuff. Mm. Like when you're searching, you don't have, you don't come up with all that kind of stuff and running scans. And I'm not saying they're, yeah. you know, invincible, but it's just, it certainly is, makes my life much easier. And in presentations, I use Keynote for yeah. everything. And Keynote is a slick transitions to drag to put an embedded video in powerpoint at one time was just so difficult here i just drag Mm. it literally drag it in there and it's embedded that's it it's phenomenal for presentation modes for me i've been feeling the pressure feeling pressure come on over i'll help you all right (laughs) all right i think this is number five favorite place you have traveled to or would like to go to if you haven't been to it yet well, I know some of my listeners have heard this one. Eleuthera Bahamas is someplace that I did go to. Yeah. And if you haven't gone, man, you have to check it out. It's in the Bahamas, but it's across the bay from Nassau. So it's okay. a long, thin island, and it's like low. It's where the Atlantic and the Caribbean meet. So you mm-hmm. could literally go to the north side of the island and see teal water meet dark, deep blue Atlantic wow. water. It is incredible. Awesome. It's low-key. No high rises, no big hotels. You live like in an Airbnb or with the locals. You drive on the mm-hmm. wrong side of the road. You know, there's restaurants and there's bars and your groceries, but it is like just seven be- There, I don't know how many different, and I say beaches, I'm not talking huge, but like little lagoon beaches. There are mm-hmm. hidden spots all over the island, Adam. And if you saw more than one or two people on a beach, you, you were surprised. You had beaches to yourself. And this was like, I want to say June, late June, when I went. Wow. One place I do want to go to is Greece, though. I've never gone. Okay. And just those blue cliffs or blue white cliffs with blue waters. And yeah, yeah that, that's a place I do want to visit, though. These are all going to be uh, post, post-COVID. post Absolutely. <laughs> gonna, tra- travel is going to be delayed for a minute. 
Absolutely. Well, hey, brother, that was great five questions. So, hey, audience, that was the flip five GTKY section. So just like connections before content in the classroom, that's what we model here on the show. So if you want to know more about GTKY questions or you want to join our circles, head over to RCLFIRST. That's RCLFIRST.com. You can click on either of the orange links. One will give you 28 GTKY questions, a free resource you could go back to use with your staff or with your students just to get to know them. Or if you want to join our circles, which we are hosting on Monday evenings, Thursday evenings, and Saturday mornings, where you can just connect. It's just a free Zoom link where you show up and you get to connect with other educators to make you feel valued, seen, and heard. So that's out of the way. All right, Adam, I have been really excited about having you on the show. You have such an energy an aura, not only is it around you, but you wear it on your clothes. Your suits are amazing. <laughs> I joked with somebody the other day about their sock game. It's like, Adam has got the suit game. He's got everything going on. You're an author, you're a speaker, you're an educator, you're a leader. You've got so many layers to your backgrounds. And so I will obviously intro you a little bit better on my own, but let's just, just let the listeners get to that chance to know who you are. So just get them caught up to who Adam DeVico is today. Yeah, sure. So uh, born and raised in New Jersey. Again, I came down south to college, actually, because uh, I wanted to get away from traffic and cold weather for a minute. So I went down to North Carolina. And after graduating, I stuck around North Carolina. I was a fifth grade teacher, actually, to start off. And I uh, loved fifth grade, loved elementary school, and taught that in a couple different cities. And I had an awesome chance to head down to Atlanta, Georgia, and got a, a position at a place called the Ron Park Academy, which uh, really set my career in this really unique trajectory where not only was I a teacher, but also delivering professional development. And so for the past 10 years now, for the past decade, I've been able to, and blessed to have been able to continue this journey of professional development while doing other things as well, like being a principal. I was a college professor, curriculum facilitator, which is what I'm doing now. And, uh, you know, writing books. And so all these different worlds have kind of intertwined and intermingled and flowed into this really cool opportunity just to see education from all these different angles and, and from all these different places. And uh, I hope in the end, maybe I've been able to help an educator or two. So let me ask you a question. Out of all of the angles that you have observed, right, in mm -hmm. education, what is one angle or one perspective that really stood out that you just didn't see or was like, wow, an aha type of like looking through that lens, you never saw that part coming? Being a principal hands down. Being a principal is the most invigorating, exciting, frustrating, lonely, every adjective and uh, every adjective you can think of, there's aspects of it in that job. And I loved every minute of it. It was uh, something that I was, it, it was the right time of my career for it. And I think we had a really good run at the school I was at. We, we made some really cool changes. We, we I think, became a, a place that other schools you know, kind of looked at and, and said, oh, maybe we can try that too, which is a huge compliment. Just being the principal, having your name, one of my former principals when I was a teacher, you know, she used the phrase with me one time, the buck stops here. And I never really truly appreciated that in the school context until truly the buck stopped with me. And so one of the favorite things for teachers is to say, uh, you know, you can ask the, ask the principal or, you know, go, that's above my pay grade kind of thing. And, and when you're the principal there, no, it's your call. And day-to-day -day kind of decisions, which are hundreds per day, sometimes per hour, are, are on you. And you have to, and one thing I had to really adjust to was taking ownership of that. You know, I didn't always make the right call. I don't know if I, I never made the popular call uh, in many people's eyes, but 
I, I learned to take ownership of it. And eventually people respected that, whether they agreed or not, whether they liked it or not, they respected that the ownership was there. And so we were able to move past, you know, frustrations or disappointment through the respect that, hey, I'm going to own that. And if it doesn't work out, I'll take blame. But when it does, we can celebrate together. I like that. I would agree with you. I think the more times you put on those leadership shoes and step into them, the more you realize accountability ends with you. You know, of course, Mm -hmm. they can go to central office. But at the end of the day, those campus decisions, most people are looking to you. And you find yourself having to make decisions, as you said, sometimes so many decisions in a day, it's not only just overwhelming, it's taxing. You know, I I forget that Dr. Lang used to say something when we were doing the TEA trainings, but she used to say, you know, we make more decisions than a brain brain surgeon does. And the brain surgeon, at least the patient's asleep. All of ours are awake. You know, Um, (laughs) it is one of those very unique positions. So Adam, if you, how would you describe your leadership style if somebody asked you that? Oh, let's see. I, I, I believe in, and I, and I hope I encompass this, what I believe in at least is a hands-on approach. I believe in energy, innovation, risk-taking, and ultimately through those channels, being a change agent. And so I don't want to, I'll backtrack. One of the most frequent pieces of advice that I got going into the principalship, and that dates all the way back to you know, going through your principal program, one of the most popular things everyone likes to tell you is don't touch anything year one. Just leave it alone, take it all in, let it be, and then you can make changes. It's, I think, really good advice. Unfortunately, I don't listen to advice always. So I kind of went in a little bit heavy and we, we shuffled some things up. And I, I also want to give compliments to my superintendent who hired me. She put me at a place where, you know, the school was very ready for some changes. And so I was in the right position at the right time at the right school, because, you know, given different circumstances, it may not have worked out as well. But I I feel very fortunate that I was. And so I went in heavy, went in hard, made some changes, and found out very quickly who was going to be on board. And anyone who wasn't, I I welcomed them to talk to me, and we were able to find other places for them to thrive in. It just wasn't going to be at my school. Absolutely. I'm transparent, honest. I don't mind hard conversations. I actually like them. I don't mind uncomfortableness. And so it's fun kind of going into those sometimes. But that's a little bit about my leadership style. I don't know if people who worked for me would agree, but I think that's what I've been able to, I I hope that's what I've been able to put out. Good. And listen, I think everybody has very similar aspects of how we have a Venn diagram and crossover on our own leadership styles. You know, mine is very servant, servant leadership style. But yet, like you said, I was taught the same things, but... I came into my first principal job. I changed my, I was a middle school principal. Mm-hmm. I changed my master schedule mid-semester. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That's um, a quick way to piss off people. Oh, you think? <laughs> oh, and it was in a smaller rural town outside San Antonio. And it was this crazy because Adam, it was like, they were like, you can't do that. And I was like, well, actually, I went to the superintendent I and I can. She asked me what was the reason. I gave her my data points. I told her what the point was. We were teaching pre-AP classes, but we weren't teaching anything pre-AP. I was like, this is bluebirds and redbirds, right? So I'm like, yeah. no, 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 no. And literally some of the people in the community were like, we don't want our kids with those kids. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. So yeah, yeah. You, you're right. I pissed a lot of people off. But here's what's interesting. The superintendent, much like you, I thanked her for giving me so much support because it was the first time in Texas it was... Back then, it wasn't STAR, it was tax. It was our accountability mm-hmm. system. But it yeah. was the first time that we made 90% in every single category in academics. And mm-hmm. we tripled our UIL academic points. We did all the things that they asked me to do. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I think the, the the data spoke for itself. But you're right. I think sometimes we, but 
how many relationships may were was even ruined for people not seeing my vision or I will own it for me maybe not articulating my vision the way that I thought it was in my head maybe I didn't articulate it the best to them either so I can own that so let me go back to this point because you segued into something I thought was very important because I want to talk about teachers but before we go to teachers let's stay can we stay for leadership for a minute yeah so you said thinking about this because this is something that I preach and teach when I talk to administrators all the time Adam is you know, when they're teaching us in our master's courses and whatever that is, you know, wherever you're going, it's so hard because a lot of times they're doing the best that they can to prepare us. And just like with teaching, no master's program or or leadership program really gets you prepared for what it takes to truly lead a campus, right? But it also doesn't get take to understand, like when I, the biggest aha I had from leaving teaching into leadership was I went from working primarily you know, with kids and for kids to adults. And now all of a sudden you have 30, 40, 50, 60 staff members with different biases and beliefs and ideas and everything else. And, and I say it and I don't try to hurt their feelings, but working for adults was a hell of a lot harder than working for kids. What was your perspective when you think about preparation for leadership? Yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, adults are are the hardest people to work with, and I, I add myself included. I think principals are even harder to work with, as from a superintendent perspective. <laughs> I mean, principals are even harder. But adults are just shouty. We have we have strong opinions, and we have we have strong beliefs, and those are sometimes hard to convince others of. But I'll share one, I guess, something I held true to myself and I'm proud still that I did this. Every single week I taught as a principal and sometimes I only had time to do one lesson. You know, know, it varied per week, but I promised my staff and I held to it that every single week I would teach a class somewhere at some point. I was able to do that. And and for what what it was worth, I, I feel that I was able to hold a little bit of credibility and so whether I was doing a phonics lesson in kindergarten, a you know, pre-algebra lesson in fifth grade, and I even taught myself, uh, well, no, I did not teach myself. I had very talented people around me. Uh, we had a deaf population in my school. My crowning achievement, I'm, so, I'm still proud of this, and I have a video of it somewhere, uh, is I did, a, I did a read aloud in sign language to my deaf students. And I mean, that was, that took practice. I mean, I, I can jump into most classrooms and just teach kind of blind, but right. I had to do a couple of weeks of practicing that book. And it was like, it's like a learning to read book. <laughs> yeah, It's a penguin book. It's not yeah. very complicated, but I had to learn it in sign language. And oh. so just stuff like that. I, I think that held us a, a small bit of credibility to the, to the staff and the teachers and the students. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about relationships in a minute, but I yeah. think that was a core component to building relationships with my staff and students. Well, no, see, that's where I really wanted to go. Let's just go exactly there. I, I was going to yeah. ask you, I was going to ask you, did you, for one, two things about this question. One, what was your purpose in doing it? Like, what was your really motivation in doing it? And two, what did you see as possibly kind of an effect of that? What were those two things for you? Honestly, some of it was selfish. I love teaching. And just because I'm in a leadership position, I still want to teach and I'm going to continue doing that. Even in my position now, I'm I'm a curriculum facilitator now at a school. And so I have, I have a small group that I teach even virtually, we're doing it virtually now, but I teach a small group twice a week now on my schedule. And so, yeah, part of it is selfish. I admit that, but beyond that, it is about making sure that they don't see the principal as the place you go to or the person you go to when you are in trouble. I am not the person you go to just to be disciplined, or I'm not the person you go to when 
you just need something. I want to be the person you talk to. I want to be the person that you confide in. I want to be the person that you look back on in a few years and be like, man, that, you know, he was a cool principal kind of thing. And, and so that relationship piece was so important to me as a school leader, of course, as a teacher as well, but you know, even more so as a school leader, because you hear all the stories time and time again from kids who couldn't even name their principal kids who don't know who their principal is. And so I never wanted to do that. And I never wanted to be that person. And so doing that, teaching these lessons was, uh, you know, it's multifaceted. And no, then I guess you asked about the outcome. Yeah. Uh, the outcome was increased relationships. The outcome was opportunities to get to know the kids. I'm not going to say I knew all 600 kids' names by face, but I could tell you that every kid knew my name, every kid. I, I recognized at least every kid. I knew probably about 90%. I feel good about saying about 90% of face and names by the end of the year. So, you know, I worked hard at it. It's important to the kids. It's important to the teachers. And it was important to me. So right there, let's, let me ask you a question. Did you see any side effects for the adults in connections with you by teaching sure. Sure. Uh, Could you elaborate I mean, a little bit on that? Yeah. I mean, from an instructional standpoint, I had a certain vision of how I wanted instruction to look. And, you know, I had some prior to being a principal, I had some really good opportunities to, to refine my own teaching, particularly at the Ron Clark Academy, where I was being watched as a teacher every week by hundreds of people. And so, you know, people, one of the most favorite questions to ask at the Ron Clark Academy is, do you get a teacher evaluation? You know, like, most schools do, you know, your annual evaluation. And the reality is you have a weekly evaluation. You have hundreds of educators from around the world stepping into your classroom every week. And if you suck, they're going to let someone know. And so you're not going to last there very long if you are not an effective, innovative educator. So I, I feel good about what I'm bringing to the table. Not saying perfect, but I don't mind being watched. And so when I was a uh, you know, when I was stepping into one of my teacher's classrooms, modeling something, I expected to have a conversation afterwards, reflecting on what they saw of me, what I typically see of them. And let's talk about what opportunities exist in between. Oh, man, I had some, I had some amazing, amazing teachers. And so those conversations were outstanding because, frankly, I learned more from them than they could ever learn from me. But it's those conversations and, and the trust and the relationships they had by saying, all right, this is a dude that's willing to step into my classroom, teach my kids. I can talk about this kind of stuff now. And when it came time for evaluation, we could talk about those growth moments and those growth opportunities. So if I'm still seeing you do the same habits that we talked about changing several months back now, you know, we've got a, we've got a little bit of an issue. And so we do expect change. We do expect growth. Everyone who worked for me, we had a, a general agreement. I'm not an easy person to work for. <laughs> it, I have really high expectations and, you know, if you're not continent, I'm going to let you know. And there were some tears sometimes, but I feel good about the people that I was able to hire, the people that worked for me and their growth. And I hope some of them would agree as well. Great. And so I tell that for our listeners, a great strategy to not only enhance your connection with kids and for the, and your teachers is to do exactly what you did, even if you can't do it all the time. But I love the intentionality of saying, hey, look, even if I can't do it for X amount of times, once a week and just getting yourself, because as you've pointed out, I have been on the campus where some people said, I thought you were the principal. I'm like, no, 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 I'm the assistant principal. And they're like, but you're very visible. You're in the hallways. You're the one doing right. this. And I'm like, 
Yeah, no, no, no. There, there's somebody up in the front that's running the school, and they're just like, "Well, who is it?" I'm just like, right. "So, no." And listen, I'm not saying it in a derogatory. I'm saying like that's just the reality. So, what's interesting yeah. is you've experienced that. I've experienced that. That realistically happens out there. But I will tell you one place that it doesn't happen. And let's just take a quick minute to go there. The Ron Clark Academy, RCA. Like, you know, I'll be honest. I've never visited. I have not never made it there. When Ron Clark came to our conference in 2018, I think was our keynote. And he keynoted. And it was crazy, Adam, because I had shown a video where um, Ron had just danced with the kids and then, you know, they interviewed him and it was like CBS or whatever it was, right? And here's what I took away from that video. At the end of the video, I don't know why, and, and if people were, it was profound to them, I never really heard it. But at the mm -hmm. end of the video, he said, hey, is there a message behind this video? And he said, absolutely. At the Ron Clark Academy, we're all about building relationships with kids, connecting kids where they're at, meeting them where they're at, learning about their culture. But, and I listened to that, and then I showed it at the end of every one of my trainings, Adam, as kind of the, like a bow. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I've talked to you about relationships. I've given you tools. I've done all this. And I'm like, look at this gentleman, Ron Clark, who's like, you know, up there as one of the most well-renowned educators out there. And look at what this man is doing in the Ron Clark Academy. And look at what he says, what's the Ron Clark Academy about? And then, you know, and I think they'd said on there, every single kid at that point had gone to college, but one. And so all the stats. And so I said, so you're sitting in your school. And I said, but here's what's interesting is that I made a little bullet point of what Ron said. And I said, how much do those things up there cost? It was zero. Learning right. about the kids, connecting. And I said, so you know what's funny is you don't even have to have a principal or somebody who's like Ron Clark. You can be the next Ron Clark. All you have to do is focus on those things, which don't cost anything. But look at what they amazingly do to enhance not only connections, but academic success. So, right. you know, what was it like in the RCA family and working with those kids and, and having teachers come visit you? Could you just give us a little insight into that? Yeah, I mean, you, you really described a lot of it. It's, it's not complex. It's hard work, but it's not complex. It's dedication. Uh, I'm going to steal a word that you used before, intentionality. It's being intentional about making connections with your kids and being intentional about how and when and why you plan your lessons. It's about being real. It's about being accessible. It's about being relatable. And so uh, one, of the, one of the other questions that frequently people get are, when you start working at the Ron Clark Academy, is there like a training? Is there a new teacher induction or something like that? And yeah, you know, for some of the nuts and bolts stuff, you learn some of that. But Ron hires people who fit into his mold mm -hmm. and into the academy's mold. He does, Largely, it's people who are already doing these things at their schools and they don't have a national spotlight on them because they're usually at a you know, regular public school somewhere in America. I was in North Carolina and, you know, there's a million of us out there who, you know, could have fit in that mold. It just, my, you know, my timing was just the right place at the right time, I think. But he's finding educators who are you know, already building relationships, who are already engaging in the classroom and want to have those experiences with kids. And that's really what it comes down to is creating memories, creating experiences. You know, I was there kind of in the early days, in the beginning stages of the academy. And so now, you know, most of my students are 
either at their end of the college career or beyond married. Some have kids now. Right. So it's just so interesting seeing the long-term effects, which early on in the Academy days, that was one of the big questions that we could never answer. Well, what are the kids doing now? Well, we're like, they're in high school. (laughs) they're, They're still learning. We have a little bit more anecdotal evidence now and, you know, quantitative evidence of saying, you know, these kids are turning out okay. They're working real jobs and they're work and they're making great changes. And do you mind if I give a shout out? No, that's what this is all about there. My first year there, um, the class was 2010 was my first year. And so my fifth graders that year, they are now juniors in college and they, there's a group of them. There's a group of six girls that were in that class. And they're all at different colleges now, except two, because they're twins and they, they're both at University of Georgia. But the six of, there's six of them, and they have created a initiative, I guess. I'll call it a business. I'll call it a business because okay. it, is, it is a social media push to empower and recognize and, and promote Black women in a college, a collegiate Black women and entrepreneurship and great things that they're doing. And so it's Coco Diaries. If anyone wants to check it out on Instagram, they've got a great following on Instagram and I just love them. I, I call them my daughters. I mean, they're just a great group of girls and uh, they're doing amazing things. And that's just one example of, of many, but that group in particular, I'm just so proud of them. And the fact that they're still staying so close after all these years. I mean, how many of your fifth grade friends do you still talk to? <laughs> and here you are 10 years later, starting a business with five of your best friends from fifth grade. It's that's authentic. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes too, whether anybody yeah. reads those or not, but we will make sure that we get those out there. So you mentioned getting ready. So I want to, I want to flip. Thank you for sharing the Ron Clark Academy kind of RCA yeah. experience. I have Michael Bonner on and kind of asked him the same mm-hmm. thing, you know, so he's kind of in there now. So yeah. I'm get, I want our listeners to kind of know what it was and what it is, but here's what I want to know. You talked about like getting ready and being prepared. Mm-hmm. So yeah. here's what I want to switch channels. I want to talk about now teacher readiness, mm-hmm. because for me, one of the things that I've started to observe coming from the outside, you know, when you're in the forest in the middle of principalship and everything, you're like stuck in the trees. You can't even see anything. And then, you know, when I backed out in 2015 and I started training, coaching, and supporting campuses across the United States, mm-hmm. I could see a whole macro view, much like you've been able to observe, right? And you, like yeah. you said, no offense, come on listeners, be real. But sometimes working with principals is just as worse, it's difficult, more difficult than difficult, than difficult students, right? But right. principals, leaders, different things. I've run into so many different barriers that I've run into. But one of the biggest barriers that I that I struggle to, and I do get it, but I'm struggling still to just getting to people to understand on my, this is my soapbox, is we love to talk about the importance of relationships. And what you just pointed out, like Ron Ron and them, they're like real simple. We just hire people that are like relationship centered. You know, that's, they get mm-hmm. it. They naturally have that. So they have the knack to be able to do that. Not all schools have that luxury. So when you look at it, we love to talk about in education, the importance of building relationships and making connections. But then when it comes to actually either one, holding us accountable for making that happen, or for two, putting it in front of new teachers to say, not only are you going to have to like know your content in classroom management and all these other things, where are we going to talk about how to meet the students' social emotional needs? Where are we going to talk about these teachers being prepared for making connections and understanding the value of that and actually giving it a percentage versus just something we put on the shirt or the bottom of an email? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, everyone loves saying relationships are important. 
And I think everyone agrees. Everyone nods their head. Everyone gives a thumbs up. Everyone loves it. And so how do you do it, right? And so I did something, I'll give an example, I guess. It was controversial, I guess, at the time as a principal. And uh, I'll set up the story for it is that this, this is something that I've done since my very first year of teaching in North Carolina. It carried through to the Ron Clark Academy. It carried through when I was a college professor because I did the same there and then became a principal. And that's home visits. And I had mixed feelings, but I said, at the end of my first year as being a principal, I said, if you are going to stay here next year, so this was year one to year two. And so you had a decision that you you could make. If you are going to stay here next year, and I laid out a series of expectations of things that we had talked about and that my uh, my leadership team of, of teachers, we agreed upon. And so if you're going to stay here, you're going to agree upon certain things to execute. One of those is home visits. And at that time, no school in the district of uh, over 80 schools was doing home visits. And I might have conveniently forgotten to ask permission to do this. Oops. But we went ahead and did this. We agreed upon as a school that each teacher was going to do a minimum. Each certified staff member was going to do a minimum of four home visits. We thought that was a realistic starting point. We would love more, but we wanted to be realistic as well. So we set the goal for four, which is one a quarter. I had several teachers, I had many teachers actually do their entire class. And so this was nothing more than just a minimum. And and I was so excited to see people went above. But what's the result of that? Well, you are now making yourself more vulnerable. You're making yourself available to those students in their setting. And so when we talk about getting to know our students, there's no more authentic way than seeing how they live, how they exist. And so These home visits were not a parent-teacher conference. This was not the time to explain to the parents how they were being a little turd in class. (laughs) This was not time to share about how they weren't doing their homework. This is a time to build relationships. This is when you can go play a board game at their house. This is when you can go pet their dog if everyone wants to show you their dog. This was a time where you can just hang out. I did many as well. I did a lot more than four. I did a tea party at one house. There were sisters, a second grader and kindergartner. And so we had a tea party at, the, at her house. I got to meet a specially abled chicken at another house. They had a whole bunch of chickens and one of them was just a little bit special. And so I got to meet the special chicken. And so these are just stories that they stick with you. They stick with the families. They stick with the kids. And ultimately, the relationships in class, I'm not going to say they were all perfect all oh, the time, oh, yeah. but they sure improved a lot. So and- clarifying question, Adam, I'm sorry. So when the when they were to do the home visits, this mm-hmm. wasn't like show up and talk about instruction. You're talking about yeah. just go hang out, right? Go hang out. Surely be ordinary, just be Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so and just come yeah. have dinner or come sit on the couch or pet the dog or see the chicken. So you didn't have them come up to say, well, there wasn't like this protocol to go through. It was simply go to the house, visit and connect with these kids and this family. It's as simple as that? As simple as that. And, 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 you know, there are certain families we never, these were never mandated. So if a family was like, you know, just not a good time, totally cool. Some families said, I, you know, I prefer to just do this maybe at a restaurant or park, totally cool. So there was not a protocol on where, how, it was just a, hey, let's make this happen and see what happens. And just the stories were amazing. So can you imagine a world, let's just say, can you imagine a world where every single school does that? What kind yeah. of change do you think could happen in education if all we did, Adam, was just that? What kind of change do you think that could change? Like, a, What would be the butterfly ripple effect of just that? Twofold. Kids would see their teachers as more than just 
the teacher, which I know is controversial because for so long, the teacher was this sacred being who slept at the school, lived at the school, and was only this mythical creature that never had a life outside of it. And I think we're just beyond those days now. I hope we are. And so that's wonderful. The other half of it is the teacher sees the child and more than more than just the students. So the child who sleeps in class, there might be a reason why. And we can get, we can understand better. The student who comes in dirty clothes, maybe we can understand why. The student who comes and doesn't have any friends, we might understand why. And, and that allows us to now help the child build the relationships with others or with us. And, uh, you know, not every child needs help. I mean, there's some kids that are just having a blast and you know what, I'm going to go to their house and have a blast with them. And so there's not a a rhyme or reason sometimes why we do it, but for every kid, you can get something out of it. And so from a, from a large ripple effect standpoint, man, I, I think there could be such an impact on the way we see each other. It's a reciprocal relationship. Absolutely. You know, I will tell you, Adam, when you started talking about that, I had this flashback. So my last five years was at Ed White Middle School, where we piloted restorative practices as the Mm -hmm. first campus in the state of Texas to do this and be documented by the UT and all this stuff. But here's the deal. I tell people all the time, you know, I try and I love kids, but I don't like all kids. And there was a kid Mm -hmm. in a different grade level because, you know, it gets a secondary. I'm I'm technically responsible for an alpha or a certain grade level. Mm -hmm. Right. So this was a certain grade level. But there was this young kid that he would run the halls, he would flick people off, he was disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just got under my skin, Adam. I mean, he did. It was oil and water for him and I, right? And I literally, yeah. when I'd see him in the hallways, there would be days I'm like, I just can't do him. Like somebody mm-hmm. else has to deal with him because they're like, you're the only one. I'm like, no, 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 somebody else. I'm like, no, because I want to keep my job today, right? That kind yeah. of thing, right? But here's the true story. Me and another assistant principal, I don't know why, and it wasn't, I don't even know if it was a discipline issue, but here's the deal. It's a long story. We end up having to go to his house. So we drove over, the two of us, another assistant principal and I went over there. We parked in front of the house and went up to the house. And at this point, we caught the landlord, you know, like working in the house or whatever. And he said, they're gone. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, you can go inside, but I think they're gone. Like they just left the house. And left it, and we were like, "Is this really real?" Like, you know, because in my world, people don't just leave houses. And, right, right. And so we did. We walked up, and he opened the door, and he said, "If there's any, no, blah blah blah." Adam, it was like you walked in this house, like they literally left it where there was a wallet still sitting there. There's food in the sink. There was feces spread on the wall. And this was a middle school kid, and I don't know how many other kids were in there. There was a bed with no sheets, no whatever. And there was Playboys just like laid all over the, like just laid all over the bed. Like it was this reading material, like a golf magazine, right? Yeah. You, you walked around the house. I had never seen in real life. I've seen things on movies, right? But I had mm-hmm. never seen just such a different lifestyle of what this young man was growing up in. We walked out of that house and I literally had to stand against a car. And I was like, that's not what I go home to, right? That's not even close. Yeah. And to think about that, they just left it and all this stuff. I don't even know, remember how long that period was, Adam, but the next time that I saw that kid in the hallway, I had a completely different perspective from him. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Oh, it, it softened my heart. It just allowed me to understand a little bit more and tolerate why he was doing what he was doing because I kept imagining 
if that was his bedroom with no sheets, mm-hmm. no pillows, no nothing. And you know, that whatever I, I just, man. So when you talk about a home visit, I could see why some people would be quote unquote uncomfortable, but I do see the benefit of, I love the strategy of saying, Hey, if we do this, we know, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something I put on a t-shirt and it's not something at the bottom of my email. We're actually going to put this plan of action into, into place. And I love yeah. the fact that you were outside the box and whether it was controversy or not, I love the fact, just like me changing my schedule mid-semester, people are like, you're flipping crazy. I bought a software. I stayed over the entire Christmas break. I didn't even take a vacation. I'm like, I'm changing this sucker. This is my first principal job. I'm going to do this. And they were like, you're flipping nuts. And it was controversial to a certain extent. But I knew in my heart of hearts, we needed to do something to make something successful on our campus. And, and, And we were blessed that we were fortunate that we did. Cause I'm with you. Yeah. We we're like, don't touch it. And I, even when I was a baseball coach at, I'm like, Oh, what dugout were y'all wearing? No, we're going to third base. Oh, you're in third base. We're going to first base. What uniforms did y'all wear? We're putting the uniforms on. Like we're changing as much as we can. And I don't know if it was a control I'd have to own. I don't know if it was, I wanted my DNA in there, but I, I, I did want people to know there was kind yeah. of a new sheriff in town. There was a new person at the lead of this boat and I needed, sometimes I, I worked on trust and communication and other times I just said, let's go. And I'm with you. Sometimes they followed and sometimes they needed to go somewhere else. But I do respect the fact that that I love the fact that you put those personal connections out and and particularly at the home. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. It's about dare dare to be different. Absolutely. uh, I love that. Dare to be different. There you go. Try to live that. Let's talk about books. Let's talk about you and Todd and what you guys are like pushing out. Like let's let's give an opportunity, like what you guys are really excited about. I know we're in the middle Mm -hmm. of a pandemic and I know things are going on. But you guys, you particularly, along with Todd and different people around you, you guys are still making a difference. So can you share with our listeners a little bit how, how getting involved in following Adam can get them opportunities to grow as an educator? Yeah, so uh, I have a few books. I have a few books. Uh, I wrote my second one with, so the first one I wrote solo called Inside the Trenches. And uh, that was, you know, it's funny, each of the three books is a different phase of my life. And so Inside the Treasures was really a culmination of a lot of teacher experiences. And then my second book I wrote with uh, my buddy Abe Hagee, and uh, he, he and I wrote The Limitless School. And it's about building that positive school culture. And that came off the heels of a lot of experiences working in schools with these positive cultures and sharing those out. And then Todd and I, like you just mentioned, wrote a book. Todd Nesloni and I just wrote uh, When Kids Lead. And that really came off the heels of our belief systems of the ability and the power of kids and what they can do when you give them the trust and confidence to be at the forefront, to have a voice. And so frequently adults are, are tentative or scared or hesitant to you know, relinquish power. And it's a, it's a trust issue sometimes. It's a fear issue sometimes. And so we try to lay out these tenants and these ideas. And we're, you know, Todd and I are both practitioners. So we, we try to, you know, share things that are concrete. And so when you read that book, when you listen to Todd or myself speak, you're going to get concrete ideas about how you can empower and cultivate leadership in your students. Absolutely. 
if our listeners were to say who else besides Adam should they follow right now or who, what else resources, who should they follow? Give us some, some nuggets that our educators could kind of continue to grow in the middle of this pandemic. Who are some people or what are some things that they should be listening to and following right now to help them? Yeah, I mean, so I don't think I mentioned before, but I'm, I'm actually in a doctoral program right now. And my big focus right now is equity, anti-racism, just looking at a lot of the inequities across the board and what can we do as educators, again, from the practitioner side, what can we do as educators to apply a lot of the research and the facts and the knowledge that we know to make a change in our classrooms, our schools, and our society and so I really want to give a shout out to uh, one of my dear friends. She does such amazing, amazing work. And her name is Lanisha Tab. On Instagram, it's Apron Education. And uh, Lanisha just put out a book with her friend, uh, Naomi O'Brien, Unpack Your Impact. And their big thing is social studies and how social studies needs to be taught at all levels, but can be taught at all levels. And they're both kindergarten teachers. And so the fact that they are implementing real social studies, not just fact memorization, but real authentic social studies in kindergarten, there goes every excuse for every educator. Because if you've got five-year-olds, and and I'll share evidence of this in a second, but if you can get five-year-olds talking about these types of issues at an age-appropriate level, everyone can. And the proof was truly in the pudding. So Year, a few years back, when I had first met Lanisha, uh, she and I present together at a conference that we're both part of. And so after I had first met her and saw her present, I said, I need her at my school. And so she, I, I brought her over to my school. She's in Indianapolis. I was in North Carolina, so I flew her out. And she came. And one day, she taught a lesson, social studies lesson, in my kindergarten class and my fifth grade class. And so she spanned the spectrum. And I had all my teachers watching her and stuff. She did a whole professional development and she had so many teachers just in tears because it was everything they know should be done, Mm -hmm. but weren't doing and didn't know how. And so she truly showed how, how it could be done and what it could look like. And so she just puts out, she creates so many materials. Uh, She's on uh, Teachers Pay Teachers as well. She has all these units that focus on anti-racism, on equity, on telling the stories of uh, lesser known figures in history and just does a phenomenal job about spotlighting social studies, which, as you know, is just such a pertinent thing that gets pushed to the side burner until middle school, usually when you have a social studies class. And then, you know, eventually just turns into something that some kids, you know, just look as back to memorization, but so much more than that. Absolutely. Man, wow. That was awesome. I'm so glad I asked you that because... I think those are going to be opportunities to connect and get resources and find what else is out there. Because I believe, like you said, this is a perfect time to reintroduce social studies in in what we call, you know, we started going from reopen because reopening the classroom means like it was six or seven months prior, right? Reimagine. The reimagined classroom is what you just described. It's something that's Mm -hmm. reimagined. It's going to be different. And I'm not talking about masks and six feet away. I'm talking about our approach is going to be different. And I think that's what most of my listeners are hearing from me is like, it was already difficult for five years trying to plant the relationship seed in a lot of districts, because you said it's one of the things that gets pushed to the side, right? Relationships. But, you know, this is a perfect opportunity where we can hit control, alt, delete, where we can kind of change the box, where we can change the paradigm and thinking of how the importance of relationships and social studies and ethnicity and culture mm-hmm. and diversity and social emotional and trauma and all the different things that, that our students need 
All I try to remind them is, hey, build your school on a rock of relationships, not the sand of initiatives. Because connections and relationships, if you put that as a foundation, no matter what you put on top of it, Adam, you know, and I know. And the crazy thing is every flipping educator knows, right, that it is the strongest foundation in your personal relationships, your professional relationships with your students, with your staff. Everything is really rooted in foundation and connections and relationships, but it's so hard in education because there's so many pillars that were mm-hmm. pre-established way before relationships and connections were. And so, you know, in our vision, we talk about it, but it actually doesn't make the application because there's no accountability. There's like right. you said, the thing about with Ron Clark and everybody else, there's intentionality, but there's, there is an expectation, but with regular, you know, the regular gen ed schools and everybody else outside of like RCA and a few handful of campuses, it's talked about, but it's not expected and it's not held and we're not held accountable for it. Right. So therefore it's just, it's something that just kind of meanders around of us. And those of us that are good at it naturally do it of us. And those that don't, don't. And, and it's just something we talk about. And I'm hoping that this podcast along with the work that, that you're doing, the long work that everybody else continues to model for everybody, Adam, that they're just like, one day I'm hoping the light will click, you know, that it'll click and all of a sudden they'll go, yeah, why aren't we focusing on more on that? Why, just like ethnicity and diversity and everything else you're talking about, like the lights clicking on so many of those social movements, I'm just waiting for the light to click on for us to say, oh yeah, maybe we should just connect too right what's your thoughts on that before we close the show well you're right it's it relationships are not they're not a quantitative measurement within the school system and so schools traditionally like things you can easily measure that's why standardized testing is such a popular thing we can measure it we can look at the growth and so it's hard to measure relationships outside of qualitative or anecdotal evidences and so yeah even at a school you know the teacher that has good relationships with her kids or his kids but how do you know it's a tough thing to kind of swallow as a as a school leader as a principal as a superintendent you know how do i know what my teachers are actually doing and so you know, I, I guess my home visits were a small quantitative piece of it because we said you had to do at least four. But even that, I hate that. I hate that I had to put a number on it. I mean, that's still but that's, but that's the system. That's the system we play in, Adam, as a school leader. Yeah. You, you know, because my uh, multiple conversations with many people on this show so far, everybody agrees until it changes from the top, Adam it's never going to really change because those principals names are on reports that are about accountability around scores and attendance and disproportionality and all that stuff. And you're asking me to put my name on a report that has nothing, there's nothing, there's no accountability or relationship report or accountability Mm -hmm. for connections. And as you said, it's because we're, we have a difficult time other than Panorama or some other, you know, softwares out there that may measure it, but until it's measurable. And I guess what I'm trying to plead is even one day, hopefully, maybe, and that's not going to be my area. I will never create a tool that measures relationships. <laughs> but what I will tell you is, is that whether you measure them or not, if we flip and know it's that dang important, while we're waiting for somebody to invent that, why can't we just do it? Because it's best yeah. practices, but there's so many other things in the way. And, you know, we could go on and on, Adam, but I will tell you this. I do want people to know how to reach out to you, how to follow you. So here's your opportunity to give out the shout out for social media, your website, 
anything else, I want people to know how they can follow you and learn more and get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what Adam can bring to them. I'm very fortunate. I have a unique last name, DeVico. So I keep everything very easy. Everything is always at Adam DeVico, A-D-A-M-D-O-V-I-C-O. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and then my website is adamdevico.com. So keep it nice and simple. Smooth sailing from there. Yeah. As long as you spell it correctly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, Kevin Curtis, brother. There's football players. There's all kinds there's of... Few. I, there's a few. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. We're stuck with rclfirst.com right now to make everybody just kind of give us pointing us in a direction. But hey, Adam, I know your time is valuable. Our hour is running up here. Hey, listen, I want to just thank you again, man. Your time, your energy. If, and I encourage people to not only Google you and to search you, y'all have to see what this man wears. This man's <laughs> outfits. I, Adam... I would love to just see you. One time you need to just to post a picture of your closet or something. Man, your wardrobe <laughs> is on point. I'm always happy when I just have like my sock game going. Your whole <laughs> wardrobe, man, is phenomenal. Not only do you lead, but you model by what you wear, your energy, your inspiration and education, man. And I'm so thankful that not only we were able to connect on the show, but that you're continuing to make a huge difference in the middle of this pandemic. So thank you for what you do, brother. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, brother, man. Thanks for being on the show. We'll connect with you next time. All right. Have a good one. <laughs>